episode of the Here and Now podcast. When we think of capital, we think of a balance of something, how much we have to spend or invest. Every time we make a withdrawal, our capital goes down. Over time, if all we do is withdraw, then eventually our balance will be zero, and soon we'll be in debt. We often think of capital in financial terms, but it is not just about money. We can have leadership capital, a small amount of which comes with a leadership position, but the majority comes through the respect we earn from our followers. And we can also have psychological capital, but unlike financial or leadership capital, psychological capital comes from within. Psychological capital is a construct from positive organisational psychology, which was introduced as a measure of workplace performance at the human level. It attempts to describe the level of charisma and natural leadership qualities an individual might have, how well that individual responds to stress and adapts to changes and challenges. When thought of as a quality, PSYCAP is like the level of outward engagement that we all have in varying degrees, and it may even change depending on the environment. For instance, you may have high PSYCAP in the workplace, but low PSYCAP at home with your family. There could be any number of reasons for that, and we'll explore a few of those in this episode. The idea of psychological capital comes from a field known as positive psychology, and it's been around since about 2007. It was introduced by an organizational psychologist named Fred Luthens. He figured that human capital is one of, if not the most important resource an organization has. You can copy a product, a service, a work process, pretty much everything about an organization except its people. People are the one resource which can quickly determine the success or failure of a business. Strong teams that perform well can make up for otherwise inferior processes. However, it doesn't matter how good the product or idea is. If the people aren't performing, the organization is doomed to fail. So investment in human capital is vital to maximizing the potential and productivity of an organization. And this is where PSYCAP comes in, as it is a measure of how well human capital is able to perform. Luthens defines psychological capital as an individual's positive state of psychological development. And it is characterized by having confidence to take on and put in necessary effort to succeed at challenging tasks, making a positive contribution about succeeding now and in the future persevering towards goals and, when necessary, redirecting paths to goals in order to succeed. And finally, when beset by problems and adversity, sustaining and bouncing back even beyond to attain success. While we can think of PSYCAP as one thing, it is actually the combination of four separate but related qualities known as the hero constructs. They are hope, self-efficacy, resilience and optimism. Together, they make up our level of psychological capital. There's an important distinction to make here, and that is that psychological capital is not a personality trait. It is a quality which varies over time and with context, as I mentioned before. Surprising as it may sound, personality traits are pretty fixed. They do not change a whole lot throughout our lives. Your natural disposition is something genetic. It's based on your culture and upbringing, and it's not easily changed. Sure, you can work on certain things, such as managing your temper, but it's very difficult for an introvert to become an extrovert or an analyst to become a salesperson. PSYCAP is not about those base traits which define who we are. It is more about how we function within groups and teams according to the dynamics present and our place within that team. So imagine a workplace scenario to highlight how PSYCAP and the hero constructs relate. 
Say you're a middle manager with a team of five people that you're responsible for. In your job, you have tasks to complete and there are problems to solve to achieve those tasks. And of course, there's a time which they need to be completed by. So you have some time pressure. How you set about organizing your team to achieve these tasks, given these constraints, will reflect your level of psychap. You may have a high level of confidence in being able to complete the task, and that comes across to your team, so you're hopeful and optimistic. How well you motivate your team and coordinate their activities is a reflection of your level of self-efficacy. And then an issue crops up, which means you have to modify your plan. You have a problem to solve or the deadline was just made closer. Your level of resilience will determine how well you adapt to changes and increase pressure, and your optimism defines your attitude towards these setbacks. And here's the interesting thing. When PSYCAP is considered in a workplace setting like this, it is not you as the manager that makes the appraisal of your PSYCAP. It is your team. The five people who report to you will make that determination. They'll consider how strong your qualities are in those four areas. And this happens automatically, but it can also be measured through standardized questionnaires. But PSYCAP isn't just exclusive to managers. We all have it, and it predicts our performance as workers as well. So methods to increase PSYCAP in both leaders and followers will have an overall positive impact on output. But more than that, people will be happier and more satisfied. For most of us, work takes up the majority of our time throughout our life. So isn't it important that we enjoy it and that we're happy doing it? In case you're thinking this all sounds a bit airy-fairy, PSYCAP is not a fringe concept. It's actually pretty mainstream in organizational psychology. It's considered by psychologists in many types of organizations, including different branches of the US military, and even by NASA for predicting the performance of astronauts when they work together on long-duration space missions. Now, not only is PSYCAP a measure of workplace performance, it's also a predictor of happiness, satisfaction, and even health. When you're happy in your work, you're happy in other areas of your life, and this leads to an overall sense of fulfillment. The benefits of this are many. Happiness and contentment is tied to lower stress, and this has a direct correlation with health outcomes. Things like our weight, cholesterol, quality of sleep, how much we eat, drink, and smoke are all tied to our sense of happiness in our lives. If having high psychap can contribute to improved health and prolonged happier lives, then surely that's something we should all be thinking about. So how can we increase psychap? If you've made it this far, thanks for hanging in, but you're probably wondering how this relates to you. Well, the reason I'm interested with the notion of PSYCAP is because I think it has immense value when used as a lens for viewing all aspects of your life. It allows you to detach and see things in a more objective and pragmatic way. PSYCAP helps to explain why some people seem to have a natural aura around them and how that may change in different contexts. When you think of that special quality not as an innate gift that a person has, but as something tangible that can be broken down and reassembled in others, then it can be inspiring and motivating. We tend to fall back to this default sense of who we are, with the common notion that you just have to accept it. It's life. That's your lot. You have to get on with it. But it doesn't have to be that way. I just mentioned that our personality is somewhat permanent and fixed, and that's true, but PSYCAP is like the interface between our personality and the outside world. By being mindful of our PSYCAP, we can learn to consciously adapt and modify our behavior in real time and exploit our strengths and manage our weaknesses. To do this requires paying attention to several factors, one of which is our ego, which I talked about back in episode 7. Our ego is what gets in the way of our ability to detach and be rational and consider things from a broader perspective, where we are not the center of our universe. Another factor is mindfulness. I'm going to explore mindfulness in a future episode, but for now, let's just think of it as paying attention to oneself and one's surroundings. When we let go of our ego and are mindful, we begin 
to see how the pieces fit together. And we can then make better decisions about how we will act and interact with others. We must also learn to intercept our negative thought and behavior patterns and redirect them into more positive outcomes. We all have this bad habit. When a situation arises, we react in a certain way. When we are stressed about something, often without being consciously aware of it, we begin to change our behavior. Often it is most obvious to those closest to us who see the changes first. That familiar pattern of a short temper or double or triple checking things, or maybe an inability to concentrate and see a task through to completion. We must learn to identify these patterns within ourselves and then retrain ourselves to interrupt them. This can take the form of simply acknowledging how you feel or even mentioning it to someone close that you trust. Often simply calling out the behavior interrupts it as if the simple act of shining a spotlight on it causes it to flee. For me, when I have a trip coming up for work, I begin to withdraw socially as my stress level increases. I'm not consciously aware of it initially, but I have learned to identify these familiar symptoms. I don't engage as much. I become short and disinterested in things outside of my own head. I tighten up and become more focused. This isn't a bad thing in and of itself. It's just my way of preparing myself for the challenges that lie ahead. But it is also interspersed with negative thoughts and insecurities as I question myself and my capabilities. So if my behavior has a negative influence on those around me, then it's definitely a bad thing. But if I acknowledge how I'm feeling without trying to change it, then I can immediately begin to deflate that tension. Not completely, mind you, but it's a start. Before I mention PSYCAP is like the interface between the inner me and the outer me, the version of myself that I project out into the world. Despite feeling unsure of myself, by maintaining confidence and optimism, I can manage my emotions and offer a positive face to the world, and in particular, to my team who are relying on me to do my part. This requires constant and conscious effort. As PSYCAP is a malleable construct, it can and does change over time, and some days it will come easier than others. You can't expect to wake up one morning and be a different person. But when you begin to understand aspects of behavior, then you begin to learn how you can change them. Now, you can't change who you are fundamentally, and why would you want to? But PSYCAP is as much about confidence as it is about charisma. Self-belief and the willingness to let your true self shine through, that definitely seems to come more naturally for some than others. So, thinking about it in terms of the hero constructs, you start with hope. Your level of hope is absolutely a choice. When faced with a challenge, an obstacle, a problem to solve, how you respond will define you in the eyes of your team. Do you throw up your hands and gasp, defeated before you even begin? Or do you roll up your sleeves, rally the troops and dig deep, safe in the knowledge that whether you succeed or fail, you'll go down swinging? Are others inspired by people who exude defeat? Or do they want to join the team which looks like it's going to win? You take a hit. Resilience is what keeps you trying again next time. And optimism is what it is that helps you to believe that your time is coming. You've just got to hang in there. I'm no expert. I wish I could be the person I'm describing. But it gives me hope when I read about concepts like this. Organizational psychologists and experts in the field of human performance and behavior have determined these qualities exist and are measurable and most importantly, changeable. So I'll take whatever help I can get to be a better person, a better leader and a better follower. Psychological capital isn't just a fancy name. It's just a way of breaking down and describing clearly an aspect of our humanity that we can begin to understand and therefore optimize. Turning now to some more precise and tactical ways of increasing your psychic, let's break it down into its component parts, beginning with hope. In the film The Shawshank Redemption, Andy Dufresne said, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, 
and no good thing ever dies. Hope is often thought of as an intangible quality, something ethereal. When things aren't looking good, we cling to hope, as unrealistic as it may be, looking for a narrow chance of success or reprieve. But hope isn't such a thin concept as this. It's an important cognitive process relating to our sense of personal agency. When applied in your life, hope can be found by setting goals and breaking them down into sub-goals. For instance, just being hopeful that things may get better, or that you'll eventually reach some point of future happiness or fulfillment, is not enough. You need to make a plan. That involves setting goals and analysing the challenges and stumbling blocks along the way. You can't see all of them, of course, but by looking at a potential pathway to achieving those goals, you begin to break them down into manageable chunks. And when you can begin to visualise a way forward, hope follows naturally, as does confidence. From this comes motivation, which is closely tied to hope. Without hope, we aren't motivated to move forward. Goals need to be your own. You need to identify with them. When we do things to please others, or because we think it is expected, we don't own our decisions and we lack the motivation to pursue our goals. We must choose our own path and goals, and from this will come intrinsic motivation that will give us hope that we can reach our destination as we've invested ourselves in the process. Hope does need to be tempered though. We must be realistic and willing to adjust our goals if necessary, so we stay on a path which has the potential to be successful. Having the confidence and self-belief to get on that path, that's about self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is a bit more difficult to get a handle on, but it's also just another way of saying confidence and belief in oneself. We can enhance this by looking at our strengths and past successes and using them to fuel the belief that we can achieve great things again. We've all been through a lot in our personal and professional lives. We can examine the times we've come through challenges and be successful and try to identify what it was that got us there. But we don't have to limit ourselves to our own experiences. We can leverage off the success of others. It's all too easy to think that other people have some talent or ability that we don't, which has allowed them to succeed. But that's just just a story we tell ourselves to mask our own insecurities. The reality is, we are all capable of much more than we realise. Identify the qualities in others that you aspire to, and try to model yourself on them. Reframe negative experiences as learning experiences. Life is about failure as much, if not more so, than success. But what sets successful people apart is that they accept failure as a necessary process on the path to success. They don't let their negative experiences define them. They reframe them as lessons. Let your negative experiences and failures be as important to your story as your successes. When we write our CV, we include the things we've accomplished, our qualifications, the projects we've completed, the roles we've obtained. We never include our failures, yet they account in large part for who we are and the experience we bring. If you reframe those failures from episodes you may wish to forget to milestones that help to shape and fortify you against making those mistakes again, you can begin to capitalise on those opportunities. Together, understanding our strengths, identifying our successes and acknowledging what we've learned from our failures and mistakes helps to increase increase our level of self-efficacy. And this gives us the confidence to move forward and to inspire those around us to do the same. Another quality we need to manage those failures is resilience. We talked about resilience in an earlier episode. Resilience is an important part of PSYCAP as it determines how we bounce back from setbacks. We face setbacks constantly in life. So how we manage them plays a major part in how we perceive the world around us. 
Hope and efficacy are nested within resilience as they allow us to see the light at the end of the tunnel and reframe negative experiences as opportunities to rise to meet the challenges of life. Resilience is also about how we return to equilibrium from overwhelmingly positive events, say a promotion which brings with it increased responsibility. When I became a captain of an aircraft, I was both thrilled and terrified. All those years of training and perseverance had paid off, but now it was all on me. The negative self-talk kicked in as I began to doubt myself. Being resilient allows one to return to a more balanced emotional state and not be negatively influenced or overwhelmed from the intense highs and lows of life. Finally, optimism is the sum of these parts. It's a combination of the reframing of past negative experiences, pragmatic hope for the future, and the belief not only in our own ability and potential, but that good things will come from perseverance and hard work. Optimism has to come from a place of managed expectations, though. There is such a thing as being too optimistic. If we adopt a she'll-be-right attitude, we may not be taking enough responsibility for our own fate and that of those we are working with. Being positive, full of hope and self-efficacy is important, but being overly optimistic can lead to the danger of ostrich syndrome where we bury our head in the sand and ignore the realities around us. See that cup is half full, not half empty, but don't forget it is still only half full. You can probably see how much these qualities have in common. That's why PSYCAP is considered a synergistic property that is greater than the sum of its parts. The combination of hope, self-efficacy, resilience and optimism is a powerful motivator which defines how we interact with those around us. Have a think about your PSYCAP at home, in your workplace or on your sports team. Think about how it changes and why. Where is it strongest or weakest and how can you increase it in different settings? And if you're fortunate enough to lead people, then think about their PSYCAP and what you can do to help increase it in them as well. Think about those people you've admired through the course of your life and looked up to, that great teacher you had that inspired you, or the boss who everyone loved, or maybe that uncle who could hold a room full of people in the palm of his hand as he regaled them with just another hilarious tale. Can you break the qualities of these people down in terms of their psychological capital? The hope efficacy, resilience and optimism that they had, their confidence and apparent belief in themselves. All of the ideas I've talked about in this episode come from positive psychology, and it has become a bit of a fad in organisational behaviour circles. Psychology began as a scientific way of understanding human behaviour, but not surprisingly it focused on everything that is wrong with us, mental health disorders and illnesses, and ways of diagnosing and treating them. Psychology has been very successful at this, but it also neglected to consider the positive aspects of the human condition or even just what it means to be normal. Positive psychology was introduced as a counter to the negative pathologies of the mind that were in the traditional domain of psychology and looked instead to improving the lives of relatively happy people to give them greater fulfillment and more productive lives and maybe to optimise performance in those with high ability. And it does this by looking for interventions that can help to prevent people from developing negative mental states in the first place. There was this realisation a few years back that the way to truly motivate and inspire teams was not to bark orders, but to encourage people to take ownership, to give them the tools and confidence to lead themselves and their peers through positive influences. PSYCAP is an important aspect of positive psychology as it considers the why of how different people relate to others. There is something enormously freeing about concepts like this. The idea that you can really be who you need to be because your behaviour is the result of the choices you make. You don't need to react to life. You can take charge of how you respond to it 
you can boost your psychological capital and win. There are many different types of leaders. The literature used to talk about transactional leaders, those who are goal-driven, who see people as a tool to be manipulated to get the job done. But today, we talk about transformational and authentic leaders, leaders who acknowledge their own humanity and that of their followers. We trust people we can relate to, who let us in. When you're high in psychap, you're also a realist. You accept that you won't be perfect or have all of the answers, and to be fallible is human. You acknowledge your failures and mistakes, you own them, and you seek the advice, assistance and guidance of those around you, even those who you may be leading. And when others make mistakes, you see their humanity, you guide them and offer them the support they need to learn and to progress. Understanding more about ourselves and how our mind works, it's like a life hack, but it's not a shortcut. It does take personal effort and honesty. We can use concepts like psychological capital to understand why we behave the way we do how our relationships are affected by that behaviour, and also how to improve them. Psychology may often seem like it is just giving names to things we already kind of know, but when we have the language to communicate those thoughts and realisations, we can begin to unlock new ways of seeing the world and our place in it, and we can begin to become the hero in our own lives. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Here and Now Podcast or Twitter at Here Now Podcast. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast to keep up to date with all of our latest episodes and be sure to give us a rating at the Apple Podcasts app. You can reach out to me via the pages or at the email, email theherenow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.